We are here this morning with God's Word open before us. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Please give attention to God's most holy and authoritative Word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And may God add his reading, or his blessing to the reading and now the preaching of his word. In fact, let us pray. Father, I ask that you would help us as a result of your word being read to be the body of Christ to one another, to be who we are in Christ. To be that body that is founded upon Jesus Christ, the true cornerstone. Father, I ask that you would help us to relate to one another um, with the love that your word um, outlines for the body of Christ. Help us to serve one another. Help us to die to ourselves so that we will not, as we are warned in verse 3 of our passage, that we will not think of ourselves to be something when we are nothing. Help us to die to ourselves, that we might carry each other's burdens, that we might fulfill the law of Christ by loving each other from the heart. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest danger to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our generation? I know some of you well enough to say that you would say that the church growth movement is the greatest danger of the church in our generation. And for if you don't know, the church growth movement... Um, as it is uh, generally defined as uh, starting with what people want and then marketing the church um, to people's desires. And um, that certainly is a great danger. Um, I believe there is a greater danger to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is related to it. I think it is the previous generation's church growth movement. What's the previous generation's church growth movement? I've not read this in any historian. This is my own thinking on the matter, it would be nice if Mark Knoll or, or one of those great uh, church historians uh, would have commented on this and I had read it, but this is my own so you can take it for what it's worth. But in my thinking, the greatest danger to the last generation and is continuing in this generation is this wedding 
of this rugged American individualism with the church. And I say it's related to the church growth movement. Because what we in the church have said is you can come be a part of the body of Christ. Come be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we won't have anything to do in your life. We'll let you exist by yourself. We won't meddle. And so people have come into the church with this implicit understanding that we'll let you be who you are and be who you want to be. We'll have minimal contact with the, with the deeper issues of your life. We'll give you some programs that you can come and enjoy. We'll give you a church that you can unify with or that you can, that you can uh, be a part of. But when it comes to really getting to know you and getting to know you at the level at which the Bible says we should know each other, well, that's hand off. That's hands off. That's meddling. And so that has been implicitly understood over the past couple of generations. Maybe even before that. This way of thinking, I believe, that persists even in conservative churches is a holdover from liberalism because it is certainly not anything that we can recognize when we open the Scriptures and begin reading Paul's letters to the churches. In fact, I've done something a little unusual this week. Normally I put an outline on the back of your bulletin uh, of the sermon. What I've done this week was I took as many of the one another verses from the Apostle Paul and a few from Hebrews and James and Peter that I could fit on the back of the bulletin and you still be able to read it. And I had to leave off a lot. There's about 50 or 60, 70 of these one another passages if you take them all together. And this is an outline of what the church should be. This is what, this is an outline here on the back of your bulletin of what our lives should be in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honoring one another above ourselves, living in harmony with one another, loving one another, accepting one another just as Christ uh, accepted you. Instruct one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, be patient, bearing with one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not lying to each other, bearing with each other, forgiving whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for one another. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another toward love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. And then all these one another, love one another's from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and from the Apostle Paul and uh, from the Apostle John. We do this around the edges. The 
do we function as a body with these things being central to our practice? Last week, if you remember, near the end of the sermon, as I was looking, as we were looking together at verse 25, when it says, "Let us live by the Spirit." I'm sorry. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Remember how I, I pointed out to you that word "walk" is not the normal word for walk. The normal word for walk is uh, I don't know what I'm. Peripateo is that? Yeah, it just. Um, but this is not that word. And so you're going. Oh, oh, well, what does this mean? Well, what it means is, as I said last week, this is a military term. Uh, the NIV gets it right this time, whereas ESV gets it wrong. When the, when the NIV says, keep in step with the Spirit, it's marching along in formation. And so one of the applications was that we as the body of Christ, as people in whom the Spirit of God lives are keeping in step with Him. And one of the ways that we keep in step with the Spirit is keep in step with the body of Christ. So that if one person stumbles, we are there to pick him up and carry him along. If one person begins lagging behind, we're there to encourage them and give them the support to keep going forward in the Spirit. This American individualism when it has been brought into the church and I love American individualism but when it is brought into the church and it becomes the way that we um, the mode, modus operandi the way we relate to each other it ends up destroying relationships the PCA is notoriously bad for being poor at relating to one another and I think this gets at the heart of it. As long as we have our theology right, as long as we have, um, as long as we have the the the, the basic uh, marks of the church, relationships become optional, and we can live as individuals in the church, do our own things. As long as someone doesn't just fall away from the faith. We seem to be happy that everything's going okay. As long as there's not some big, big disruption. And we allow ourselves to be separate individuals related to some programs in the church that come together in worship. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of God. The church is to be doing all of these one another's uh, with each other. Encouraging one another. Loving one another. Carrying each other's burdens. And even, I wonder if you gulped when you saw it, confessing our sins to one another. Those are to be the quality of our relationships within the body of Christ. You can tell. Just more, one more word on American individualism. You can, you can see its effects when people talk about faith being a private matter. See, Apostle Paul says that faith 
is a public matter within the body of Christ. That your faith is to be used to serve one another in the body of Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that you are incapable of loving if you are not loving other people. Or or to put it in 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 a more pointed fashion, you are not loving other people if you are not sharing the your faith, your life, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you that God has given you with one another. Um, Philip Ryken, in talking about the, the the fruits of the Spirit, he was talking about all of these fruits, and he was saying that they are not to make the, the tree more beautiful. He said the way we think of spiritual fruit is. Our, our spiritual fruit trees in our backyard for, our, for us to come and pick and use the fruit. He says, no, the spiritual fruit that we are to produce, the, the fruit tree is really out in a public park for everybody else to benefit from. I think that Romans, I mean, sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 is here. Because Paul is um, is working out for us what it means to live by the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit. For those of you in my Sunday school class, we're looking at the wider context. We're in Sunday school. We're looking at how to how to read the Bible. Um, so let me just give you a couple of little applications there. Uh, we talked about seeing the unusual word peripeteo was not there where I was expecting it. So you look and 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 that opens up your your uh, view of the passage. Here you're asking um, why is Galatians six one through six here? It's because of what he said at the end of Galatians chapter six. He's talking about how we keep in step with the Spirit, how we walk in formation as the body of Christ. Um, and again, uh, so so look at it from that standpoint of, of being in a formation. When you come to verse six, I'm sorry, come to verse one in chapter six, brothers. First of all, that's an important word. Brothers, we're the family of God. We belong to each other in the family of God. If anyone is caught in a transgression or a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Um, As it talks here about uh, who should restore them, more often than not, we think of the pastor having a part in the restoration process. The elders having a part in the, in the restoration process. And that certainly, Matthew chapter 18, may happen further down the line. But notice he's not saying here, pastor or elders. He's very general, general here. He says, you who are spiritual... You who are a member of the church, ladies, men, teenagers, even children, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, 
You have. He is speaking to you here in this passage. You who are spiritual can be involved in that restoration process. In fact, you can can uh, be the beginning and the end of that restoration process. You see someone out on the playground, children, who's doing something that they shouldn't do. Doing something that could potentially be dangerous or hurtful to someone else. In gentleness, you can go and say, it's not wise for you to do that. Um, Maybe you shouldn't do that. And they heed your word, and the restoration process has taken place. It is, doesn't have to be this big, great thing. We are to encourage one another daily, it says in the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That should be our interactions in the church. Not looking for each other's sins, mind you turning over the rocks in each other's lives. That's not what we're, what we're looking for. But encouraging one another. Because we do have sinful hearts. We need that encouragement. He says, the writer to Hebrews says, every day. That should be a part of our fellowship together. As it is... I included the quote on the front of the bulletin from Jerry Bridges. He says, We don't know each other well enough and are unwilling to get to know each other well enough that, uh, that, we, could, we, would, that we could possibly even know what's going on in their life. He says, There's a crisis of caring in the church of Jesus Christ today. Many Christians readily identify with David's lament. No one is concerned for me. No one cares for my life. We are all so busy, absorbed in our own responsibilities, and insulated from one another. We pass each other like ships in the night, uttering a friendly but empty, Hi, how are you doing? And hearing an equally hollow response, Oh, fine. How are you? We'd be shocked if someone replied, Would you really like to know? We believers today do not know, either intellectually or experientially, the meaning of true fellowship as it was practiced in the early church and passed on to us by the writers of the New Testament. The word fellowship has become so watered down in our Christian culture that it no longer conveys the meaning or the same meaning it did in New Testament times. He's getting to the heart of what I'm trying to convey this morning. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And so, that means something. So he uses the, um, the example of someone caught in a transgression. And I don't believe this is uh, caught in the sense that, like that politician earlier this week, you know, was caught and then he... Um, and tried to make himself a victim uh, to put aside his 
his responsibility in the matter. That's not what we're talking about here. When it talks here about someone being caught, it's someone who has stumbled and tripped, someone who has has uh, done something that they know to be sinful, uh, or they've done something that they didn't know was sinful, but they they're not trying to to get out of it like like the politician. This is someone who is repentant of their sins. That's, and the reason I say that is because he talks here about restoring them. If they are unrepentant, then there can be no restoration. And then eventually Matthew 18 would come into play. But here he's talking about restoring someone How do you restore them? Well, first of all, he says, restore them. Don't ignore them. Kind of rhymes. Um, That's that's the temptation. We see someone, and we're too scared to meddle. We're too scared to speak into their lives. Too scared to exhort them. Wondering what they might think, or they might be mad at us. Um, We go, we restore um, and how do you restore? You restore gently. The church is a hospital for sinners. It is very hard, i got to tell you, to be completely honest, to talk about restoring gently, because I'm the father of teenagers. <laughs> and sometimes you just want to, the big mushroom cloud, and let it all go. What, what are you doing? And so this passage has been speaking to me an awful lot this this week about restoring gently. We are a hospital for sinners. If you were in the hospital and um, the people were treating you roughly, you, know, you would cry foul. In fact, uh, I was visiting with Terry Koss on Friday and uh, some of the workers, she has a, a very heavy bed and they were trying to wheel her down and they weren't being very careful and they rammed her into the wall a few times. And uh, she's, this is a hospital. The church is a hospital. The restoration should not be with with harshness, um, not be with this judgmentalism, not be with this manipulation through anger or things like that. We are a hospital, and so we restore gently. Plus, the whole book of this this flows right out of the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul has been talking about justification by faith. You are a sinner saved by grace. God has counted you righteous. Not because of your good works, but because of Jesus Christ. He has accepted you as His child. So shouldn't we, as the body of Christ, accept one another as God's child? Shouldn't we accept one another as fellow sinners who have been saved, not because of anything in us, but because of God's grace alone? And so we restore gently. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is one of the ways you restore someone gently. Restoring someone is going to be costly to you. 
in nine times out of ten opportunities. Because what you're going to do is you're going to come alongside them and you are going to bear their burdens for them in order that they might um, be restored. You will have to carry some of their burdens sometimes in order to help them be restored uh, and help, help them get back in formation, if you will. Someone sprains their ankle in a real unit in the army. They're going to pick that person up and keep moving because they can't just leave that person on the battlefield. We restore by bearing each other up, bearing each other's burdens. The Apostle Paul, notice in verse 3, says, This is true love. You bear one another's burdens, and you have fulfilled the law of Christ. If you're willing to simply give a drive-by rebuke, you haven't fulfilled the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul would say you're being unloving at that point. Now you stop. You urge them, you exhort them, and then you stay with them and bear their burdens to help them because your goal is restoration. Anything less is not love. I'm going to make just a couple of applications here at this point. I wanted to talk secondly about the pitfalls of engaging in this kind of ministry. So let me just list those real quickly without talking about them. Uh, He says, verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Uh, Then verse 4, or verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You know, if you're the one doing the restoring, puff yourself up. I'm helping this person. The Apostle Paul says, watch out, um, lest you think you're something when you're really nothing, and so deceive yourself. Uh, Each person should test his own work. I think what this is talking about is removing the... the, was it the splinter from, or the board from your eye so you can see the splinter um, in the other person's eye? Uh, so keep watch on yourself. Uh, remember verse 5, you are personally responsible. Well, the church didn't help me carry my burden. The church didn't, didn't restore me. At the end of the day, you're still personally responsible. That's what he's saying. So, uh, but we are called as the church to bear one another's burdens and to, to care for one another. By way of uh, application, we've been talking about shepherding here in the, uh, these last few weeks. Um, I hope that most of you got the letter uh, that I wrote. Uh, if not, there are probably extra copies. Um, I uh, wrote it after the bulletin was stuffed and meant to come up here yesterday and I ended up working out in my yard and so I almost forgot to stuff them uh, this morning but I wanted you to get that we are the body of Christ and we are gathered together um, and we are mutually shepherding each other this is one of the things that the session I think has, has shown great wisdom in over these last couple of weeks. 
We can't, you can't wait to be shepherded by your elder. Yes, that we have made a commitment in repentance for not doing that well. Um, but you are the body of Christ. You are the doctors and the nurses here in this congregation. Mutually build each other up. Mutually carry each other's burdens. Be the body of Christ. Relate to one another. We are family. Yes, the elders are going to do their part. One of the things, I, one of the points I made in the, that letter was meals on wheels. Those of you who participate in, in that on Monday morning, you are able to shepherd each other better than any kind of program that we could put together. Because you're with each other week after week. You're loving each other, caring each other. In the choir, one of the things I told Dale was, don't think you're treading on my, on my feet if you shepherd the people. Care for them. Shepherd them. And I know a lot of mutual care goes on within the choir. The small groups. This is where we are the body. And this is where I want to commend you for being the body. I said a lot at the beginning of the sermon. But I want to encourage you. There are many avenues that we are doing this. Let's make sure that we are intentionally doing it. Let's not let each other fall through the cracks. We are God's people. His Spirit lives in us. It's difficult. I understand it's difficult to relate to each other in uh, in this kind of way. But that's what we are called to. That's what we are empowered by. Empowered to by God's Spirit. Um, This is unrelated and I'm going a little long. But I was thinking about Moses. And I was thinking about how unwilling he was to follow God when God repeatedly called him. We looked at it in our Wednesday night meals, um, in the devotionals that we were as we were going through Exodus. It took him a while, and finally he repented. I know it's difficult, but keep looking to God, and He will help us be the body of Christ to each other as His Word is calling us to do. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that You would make us what we are. We are not something else trying to become something else. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are keeping in step with the Spirit because He is at work in us. And so I pray that you would help us to do that more and more and be intentional about doing that. To sacrifice our own desires and needs for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that we would be the hospital for sinners that God has called us to be. For Jesus did not come to call the righteous um, to himself, but sinners. Because it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.